Thank you, uh, team. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to uh, Central. If you're guest of ours, great to have you here this morning. My name is uh, Craig, and I get the privilege of sharing week number two of our series entitled Christmas United. Today's message is entitled No Stranger Danger. Thank you, Joel. Uh, good uh, morning again. If you have a Bible, what I'd like you to do is to turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up where we left off in Ephesians in a few moments, but I want to get there by way of the Bethlehem story that we were talking about last week. So if you need a copy of the Scriptures, please put your hands in the air, and our ushers will be delighted to give you a copy of the Scriptures, and then when you've received it, you can turn to page 1027, 1027. Now, last week I began with a message entitled, The Silent Wall. I talked about this, this picture, I believe, this kind of vision that the father had that when his son would come, walls would come down. Our world is talking about walls, our nation is talking about walls, but I pointed out that the wall that Paul had experienced was that dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentile. It was a wall that Paul was accused of taking the Gentile Trophimus past. It wasn't a true accusation, but Paul later would find himself in chains as a direct result of that encounter, and he wrote to that Ephesian church about a dividing wall that had come down in Jesus Christ. And so Paul was in effect saying, while the accusation against me that I took a Gentile past this dividing wall that only Jews are allowed to go through is false, the reality is that in truth Jesus has taken this wall down, that even though I am the Jewish, the most Jewish of Jews, and you are the most Gentile of Gentiles, God has made us one. This is what he's done, he said. And so what we discover is that the Bible doesn't just talk about this new creation, that we are new creations in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus has done. The Bible also talks about the new humanity that we are. We experience new creation work, but we express new creation and new humanity realities and where is this on display? Right here in the church. That's last week. And so God's call on us is not just to experience the new creation work, it is to express the new humanity reality in a world, in a nation that is divided. And the symbol for that is, in Jesus, walls come down. So that's where we were last week. But the key question that we'll often ask is, okay, how do I do this? Just quite very practically, very personally, how do I live in such a way that the new humanity experience that I can partake in with the church because I'm a new creation actually gets lived out through me? How do I do this? I mean, the problems in our nation are complex. The problems in our world are complex. Help me understand how I can actually take walls down. That's what I want to focus on today. How can we take those walls down? And to begin with, I want to start in Luke chapter 2, that Bethlehem scene. And I want us to read from verses 15 through 20. Luke chapter 2, verses 15 through 20. We've just sung about the angels singing, 
Hallelujah. Well, that's just happened. The angels have appeared on the field to the shepherds while they were watching their flocks. And there in verse 14, we read, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And this is where we pick up the story. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Simple story. What strikes me here is what on earth possessed Mary and Joseph who just had a baby, we don't know how much time it proceeded, to actually welcoming strangers. And not just strangers, but stranger shepherds. Now, I've got four children, okay, biological children, and two are in the process of adopting. Now, when when a Jordan, our 11-year-old, was born, I was there at the hospital with Vipka. Great moment. Well, for me, it was great. For Vipka, it was too. A lot of pain involved, for her, obviously. And then, we didn't receive strangers. I mean, the thought would have been completely unthinkable. It's a a special moment that Vipka and I shared. And then, when Vipka was able, I went home. I got Alicia, Alec, and Jonas. They're all very young. And I brought them to the hospital. So this is a family moment where the family got to celebrate the new life And what we thought at the time was the completion to our family. We didn't invite a a stranger in. And yet in this text, what we read in verse 15 is that the shepherds found baby Jesus. And we also read that Mary treasured this moment and pondered on it. You remember the word ponder from a few weeks ago? To wonder, to imagine, to dream, to envision. Just what it is God was doing because these stranger shepherds who were of the lowest classes in society, they were smelly, they were dirty, they stunk of sheep. She pondered what it is that God was doing by way of sending these shepherds to her. What is it that possessed Mary and Joseph to receive stranger shepherds? And let's remember, this is not the first time that they would do this. In the Christmas story, a little while later, the wise men who are astrologists, who are kingmakers from the east, come. All of Jerusalem, we read, is up in arms. They're terrified that Mary and Joseph, hey, come on in. What is it that possesses them to welcome strangers? I think when you look at the story, there are two realities. The first one is this, their heritage. Their heritage encouraged them to welcome strangers. 
Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. I'm a foreigner that resides among you, and I know that you do not mistreat me. This is what this is talking about. Resident aliens. I'm a resident alien. I'm an Englishman. No, I'm not. I'm a Welshman living in Holland rather than New York, if any of you know the Sting song. When a foreigner resides among you, don't mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Thank you, folks. You do that for me. So this obviously isn't a message of, of uh, challenge today, is it? It's a message of encouragement. Continue to do what you're doing. It goes on. Love them as yourself. Here's why. For you were once foreigners in Egypt. That's the first reason why. And the second reason why is I am the Lord your God, and this is what I'm telling you to do. This was their heritage. This is the, the reality upon which the nation of Israel was built. The people of God were built on this. And over and over again, the Old Testament says that there are three dominant groups that are on God's heart. There is the widow, there are the fatherless, and then there are the foreigners, the aliens, the strangers, the residents in the land. Love them. Firstly, because this was your experience, and secondly, because I'm God, and that's the way I believe it needs to be. There's another scripture, Exodus 23, verse 9. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. Let me ask you a question. Do you know what it's like to be a foreigner? In a few moments, I'm going to say this is our heritage too, but think about that. Do you know what it's like to be a foreigner? It's their heritage that enables them to welcome strangers because that's the way the culture was built. It's a very hospitable culture. But the second reason, Mary and Joseph could just welcome these people that they didn't know into their homes without feeling concerned about that was because of their own experience. Many of us glamorize the, the Christmas story, but the reality of the Christmas story is that it cost Mary and Joseph a great deal. Mary would have been a young teenager, if that, when she would have been visited by the angel saying, Mary, God has chosen you to carry the Christ into the world. She was, according to Matthew, they were betrothed. In that betrothal or engagement period, there would have been no intercourse. That would have been left until after they were married. But Mary finds herself pregnant. The text tells us that Mary chose to go and visit Elizabeth. One of the reasons for that is undoubtedly that she knew what would happen to her if she stayed in her hometown. She knew that she would be faced with a village mob because essentially telling people that it is through the Holy Spirit that you are pregnant, it doesn't work today, and it didn't work back then. Joseph, obviously, we're not told this in the text, Joseph and Mary have a conversation, and Joseph is now faced with this, with this reality of what am I going to do with this? Am I going to believe that the lady to whom I am engaged, 
is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the text tells us in Matthew chapter 1 that he had it in mind to essentially divorce Mary quietly because he was a righteous, he was a just man. He didn't want to do her any harm. But one night he's asleep. And God comes to him in the form of an angel, a messenger, telling him, Mary, uh, Joseph, what Mary is telling you is true. And Joseph says, yes, to raising a child who is not his. And he recognizes that in doing that, he was basically committing himself to a lifelong rumor mill. Now, for those of you who were here last Christmas, you realize that's what we said in our Christmas refugee story last year. Without question, we said they became social outcasts in their villages by saying yes to what God wanted them to do, to carry the Christ into the world. They became like foreigners or displaced among the people. They were social refugees. This is a stigma that they would carry for their entire lives. Remember, as Jesus was growing up, it was often said, oh, isn't that, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph's son? This is a stigma they had their entire lives. And I believe they welcomed the shepherds, they welcomed the wise men, they welcomed people, because you know what? They found people that welcomed them. People like Elizabeth. Guys, all too often we, we, we read this story about Mary and Elizabeth, you know, this Hollywood moment. Mary's running to Elizabeth, Elizabeth's running to Mary, and then Elizabeth says, wow, you're pregnant, aren't you? The baby in my womb, John, just leapt for joy, and we think, wow, isn't this so cool? Don't you realize how important that was for Mary? In this moment, Elizabeth, through the work of the Holy Spirit in John, enabling the, John the Baptist to see Jesus in the spiritual realm, even before he saw him with his eyes, it was that divine stamp of attestation on Elizabeth that what Mary is saying is true. They were able to welcome others. Do you know why? Because it was their heritage, but it, they realized that God had brought people into their life that welcomed them. And more importantly than not, and anything else, God had actually welcomed them himself. See, they had a heritage, and they had an experience that led to an expression. And that expression was welcome. For Mary and Joseph, there really was no such thing as stranger danger. I want to suggest to you that the same should be true for you and me. That we have a heritage that has led to an experience of being welcomed into a family. And we have an experience of being welcomed by God himself. And as we look at this next text, I want us to realize that in putting this heritage and this experience into practice, we express the new humanity in a way that in our own town, in our own nation, walls come down. Turn with me, if you will. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. 
I'm going to read essentially the next section from where we left off last week. It begins in verse 19, page 1174, if you received the Bible from the ashes. This is what we read. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. I, I love this. He starts off by saying, consequently. In other words, as a result of what I've just told you, that in Jesus, the dividing wall that separated me, the most Jewish of Jews, from you, some of the most Gentile of Gentiles, having been destroyed by Jesus dying on the cross and his blood being poured out for all of us, cleansing our sin, because sin is the great leveler of the human race. As a result of all of this, you are now no longer strangers. You are no longer foreigners. You are citizens of God. God, and you are members of God's family. This really challenges me at a really profound level because I am Welsh. And there is a saying, you can take the Welshman out of Wales, but you can never take Wales out of the Welshman. I am Welsh, I am not English. People come up to me frequently and they say, where are you from? And I say, oh, from Wales. And they say, oh, from England. And I say, where are you from? And it works better up here. They say, I'm from the States. And I said, oh, you're from Canada. They look at me. <laughs> it works a little bit better because the border's a little bit closer up here and Florida's a little more tough. I'm a Welshman. And yet when I read this text, I was a foreigner. I, I was a stranger. I'm a proud Welshman. But the only status, the only citizenship that counts is to be a citizen of heaven, Paul says. He's not denying the nationality of the Jews or of the Gentiles, the Ephesians. He's simply saying that there is another status that is more important than our common, unique identifiers as a people. And that is that we are citizens of God. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. Earlier on in Ephesians, if you read this, he talks about our citizenship being in the heavenly realms. Now, when I talk about this, I kind of know what's going on already, okay? I'm talking about this word called foreigners. It's the word xenos. It means foreign, foreigner, strange, or strangers, and some of us are already going to that idea of immigration, right? That's where we're going. So here's what I need you to do, folks. I need you to take that thought, and I need you to throw it into the deepest recesses of your mind, because I am not talking about immigration. I'm talking about your heritage. You were once foreigners and strangers, 
I, as a Welshman, was once a foreigner and a stranger. But the miracle of Jesus Christ is that me, a Welshman, and many of you folks, Americans, Russians, Argentinians, Brazilians, Ugandans, I can keep going. We are now one because our citizenship is in heaven. That's where we're going here. Realizing that is how walls come down because we focus on what unites us, not what on not on what divides us. So listen, forget the immigration thing, throw it, okay? We were once foreigners. But more than that, I love this, we were strangers. Strangers is a compound word in the Greek, two words put together to make one. It's the word paroikos. The first word is par, it means by the side of, next to. Okay, and then you have oikos, which is that word for the family unit, for the home, for the household, for the family. So the idea behind being a stranger then is actually, it pictures a person who is standing outside besides a home and a family and not within one. That's you and me. This is our heritage. Once again, isn't this challenging? In, in Wales, Welsh people, our blood runs thick. Our tribe is strong. But the reality is, I have more in common with the new humanity, my family here, than I do with members of my own family who do not know Jesus, according to this. That's challenging, isn't it? See, what Paul is saying is, th this is our heritage. And if we've understood what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, this is also our experience. We were once strangers. We were once foreigners in a world that God created. But he has not only invited us in, He's made us fellow citizens. Through God's grace, we have become one with the new humanity called the church. This is who we are. When I walk in here, I am no longer a Welshman. I am a citizen of heaven. I am a child of the king. I belong to the family of God, all of you. And that's why... The Bible says, do not give up the habit of meeting together as some, some do. Oh, I don't need to, be a, to go to church to be a Christian. No, but you need to be gathered with your family in order to be the new humanity. See, I think that when we, when we think of this, there are walls that exist between people. It doesn't just run on racial lines. It can run even within families. I'm convinced there are many of us in here that have got difficult relationships with members of our own family. We've got these walls that are there. They're in Jesus. God wants them to come down. And I think the way that we do this is actually doing what Mary and Joseph did. And that is simply opening up the doors of our homes, but more importantly, the doors of our hearts as imperfect but growing as they are and let 
people in. Let them in. I love the passage in Hebrews, Hebrews 13. There, there are two imperatives in here, two commands that were given. The first command there is loving. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Now, the word loving there is from phileo in the Greek, which is brotherly love. So literally in the Greek, it says keep on loving one another, period. It doesn't have as brothers and sisters, but the English translation puts it in there because phileo means loving in a brotherly, sisterly way. That's the first thing. Secondly, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. I believe walls come down when we love strangers in the Jesus way. When we love foreigners in the Jesus way. Now, some of you will look at that and you think, Craig, wait a minute, there's a period between this, right? Don't go putting these two together, okay? It says, do, love one another as brothers and sisters, so that obviously calls to the church, and then, of course, we're supposed to then love other people because that's what we do, right? Well, I think there's a little bit more to it than that. I believe these two belong together. This is the way God says walls come down. And here's why. This word hospitality in Hebrews 13, the first word that is used there for hospitality is a compound word. Philoxenia. The first word is from phileo, to love, in that brotherly, sisterly kind of way. And dexenia is basically the word for foreigner. And you put it together. So essentially then, quite literally, hospitality is showing brotherly, sisterly love to foreigners and strangers. Folks, how do walls come down? How did the wall of sin come down? Paul tells us it came down because this is love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent Jesus Christ to die for us. We were strangers, we were aliens, we were outsiders. And because of Jesus, God brought us in. Our God is a hospitable God. He hosts us. And we're his guests. I believe that Mary and Joseph hosted strangers. And weren't afraid of the danger. Because God hosted them. And he wasn't afraid either. I believe this has a, a radical impact on how the new humanity live in divided days. I believe the simple truth of this is because of God's kindness to all of us, the new humanity is phylloxanic, not xenophobic. Now, phylloxanic, that's my word, by the way, made it up, sounds good. Phylloxenia is basically the word for hospitality. I've swapped out the A and I've put a C. In divided days, because of God's kindness, here's what we do. We open the doors of our church, we open the doors of our homes, we, but more importantly, we open the doors of our hearts and we welcome people in. Because this is what the church is. We're not xenophobic. That word, exenia, foreigners, phobia, fear, we're not afraid of strangers, of foreigners. Last week, I pointed out that I believe that in our day, 
in our nation at this point in time, this is one of the most important verses. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, because sometimes it doesn't. You can do everything and there's still war. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I introduced that verse last week in order to go here. This is the way it continues. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. But rather on the contrary, if your enemy, this is how far hospitality goes, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Be hospitable, because in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. It is important to note that this idea of hospitality, okay, extends not just to strangers, not just to foreigners, but even to enemies. The semantic range and the historical usage of this word actually extends in many of the Eastern cultures to the idea of how we respond to someone who's hurt us, even stands opposed to us. Here's what we do. We open. And why? Because God has opened himself up to us. So what? What what, what does this all mean? I I think there are two things. Firstly, what Christmas shows us is that in a divided, suspicious world, reflecting the new humanity is driven more by our witness than our witness, especially in the first instance. The incarnation was God's commitment to to witness being the foundation for future witness. Before Jesus opened his mouth, he entered the world. Before Jesus did anything, he went to school and he learned what it was like to live like a Jew. And I believe that it was this presence, the presence of God with us, that led to the presentation of God's love for the world. Folks, in a divided nation, that's what we need to do. We need to be with and allow our witness to be the foundation for any discussion on difference. That's the way it works. All too often, we who have believed the bold proclamation of Jesus Christ are quick to speak and slow to serve. Walls come down when God's people bend the knee in the way that Jesus did. Secondly, and this is the real challenge here, hospitality, just like evangelism, is a spiritual gift. Many label it under the the helping gifts of Romans and Corinthians, but like evangelism, it is also a requirement. 
Folks, Christmas gives us an incredible opportunity to be hospitable to people who may be strangers to us, and more importantly, strangers to God. And through a simple act of as crazy as the calendar is, blotting out time to connect with our neighbors who we may know but don't know personally, walls can come down. Michael Green has written a foundational book on evangelism in the early church, and he writes this. One of the most important methods for spreading the gospel in antiquity at the start of the church was the use of homes. God wants us, who, those of us who've experienced the new humanity of Jesus, because we've become new creations, to use this season and to use every season to express that new humanity through the way that we live. Hospitality is really simple. There's only three movements to it. It's stranger, guest, host. Stranger. Someone we know who is strange to us. We don't know at a deeper level. They, they exist to us outside of our home environment. Stranger, we make them a guest. And to be a guest means that we host. Stranger, guest, and host. In a few moments, we're going to come around the Lord's table, but to do that, I want to turn to one passage where I want you to flow with me through this passage where we all experience Jesus himself going through the motions of stranger, guest, and host. It's in Luke chapter 24. Again, for those of you with the Bible, that's page 1060 in the Bibles the ushers gave you. And the story is a simple one for those of you who may not know. It is essentially the story of Jesus having been risen from the dead, but the disciples wondering what it is that is going on. And two of them, it seems, were making their way probably home. And there on the road to Emmaus, Jesus appears to them. And I want you to look with me at what we read in verse 15. In verse 15, we read that as these disciples that are on the road, as they talked, and they discussed these things, what things, why is it that when we thought something great was happening through Jesus, that God allows him to die? When they discussed these things with each other, Jesus came up and walked along with them, verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. Here he is, Jesus as a stranger. And then we read something else. As they're on the road, they have this conversation. Jesus is provoking them, getting them to think. And we read there in verse 28 that the disciples had reached where they were going. And uh, Jesus was, it's a strange verse, was, was actually pretending as if he's going to go further. It's as if Jesus is testing, do the disciples practice the heritage that they've received? What are they going to do? And so we read in verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. What we have here is Jesus becoming a guest. 
So we have this idea of stranger. We have this idea of a stranger being made a guest. And there, as Jesus is a guest in this home, the meal is set, the bread is placed on the table. And something incredible happens if you look at verse 30. While he was there, all he did was this. And in that moment, as they are hosted around the table by Jesus, their eyes are opened. Something shifts. And then he disappears from them. See, Jesus knows what it's like to be a stranger in a land that's not his own. He knows what it's like to walk a road and be estranged from people that he loves. He knows what it's like to receive an invitation to go into homes. But Jesus also knows what it's like to host people because it's through hosting others that walls come down and their eyes open and people see. One of the greatest gifts that we've all been given is the gift of salvation. It's the greatest gift. We were once strangers living in a land that isn't our own. And then God did something. He sent Jesus. And Jesus lived the perfect life and he went to the cross and he died. And there on the cross, his blood was poured out and he was buried into a tomb. But our faith says it didn't end there. This Jesus rose again. And before he ascended to the Father, he wanted his people to realize something important. That while we live in this world, we are guests at his table. And it's as we partake in the bread that symbolizes his body being broken for us, and as we drink the cup, the symbol of the blood that cleanses us from all sin, our eyes are opened. Our eyes are open to the fact that we are now new creations in Christ Jesus. That's our experience. And our heart cries out, Father, thank you that I was once an alien and a stranger, but now I am your son and your daughter. But at the same time, we recognize that as we receive, we receive not alone. We receive with the body. We receive with the new humanity. And then in this moment, we say, Father, I take that bread and I take that cup and I'm going to proclaim this message of a new humanity where people from different places with different experiences can experience oneness in Jesus. And I'm going to live this and I'm going to host this. I'm going to carry this Christ into this world for as long as you give me breath. And so church, what we're going to do right now is we're just going to end 
by allowing Jesus to host us because that's what Jesus does. Every time we come in here, he hosts us. And so as the ushers come forward, they're going to distribute in our rows the bread and the cup. If you are gluten-free on the floor and in the balcony, there are two tables. They're gluten-free. Please feel free, even though we will remain seated, to get up and go to the table. Grab your pieces. Go back to the chair. And as our hosts today serve you, just remember, Jesus is hosting you. We are his guests. And we eat knowing that we were once strangers separated from God by our sin. And for all of us who have come to that point of knowing who Jesus is, we take. We take of the bread, we take of the cup. And we say, Jesus, thank you that I'm not just a citizen of heaven, I'm a member of your family. So as soon as you receive the bread and cup, you just take that when you're ready. And we will rejoice in the fact that Christ has redeemed us, he has saved us, and he has made us his people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth of the cross. We thank you for the wonderful message that is the foundation for everything that will be hopeful and life-giving in this Christmas season. And that is walls come down in Jesus' name. Because Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, we can now be one. That work of redemption is complete. And we are now your children. And we rejoice in that this morning. And as we take of the bread, and as we drink of the cup, God, we thank you. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts that you host us. And we are delighted to be your guests. In Jesus' name.
Mary's alive. 
is sleeping and angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch a keeping And angels sing So haste, haste to bring him long The the son of Mary morning we've been hosted by Jesus through the example of a woman who was willing to carry Christ into the world. Our challenge at the end of today is go do the same thing. Go carry Christ into a world, into a nation, into a town that is in many areas divided. Go home and make strangers your guests as you, like Jesus, open the door of your home and of your hearts and host. Now we realize that for a number of us that can be a really daunting uh, challenge. And so we've put together these 
Christmas United gift bags for you that as you leave here, we would like every family to take one. In this bag, you'll find a gift from us to you, a gift for the tree. And we want you to, today and every season, to make it a tradition as you put this gift on your tree to remember that Christ is the light of the world and He has called us to express the new humanity in this season. Secondly, in here there are some 12 days of Christmas cards On the cards, there is a simple Bible verse with a question. How will you individually, and if you do this with families, which is what we would encourage you to do, how will you as a, as a family unit, as a follower of Jesus, as a new creation, experience the truth of this today? And secondly, how will you express the truth of Christmas today? These 12 days for us, for all those of us who do it started tomorrow, will lead us up to the December 16th, 17th, and 18th weekend. That is our Christmas experience weekend. There are, thirdly, some invitation cards in here. As you experience Christmas and express Christmas, we pray and believe that through the examples that we've even listed on the cards there, there will be encounters that you will have with people who may well be strangers to Christ not just strangers to you. And we want you to be bold. And just to say, would you like to join me for an experience of Christmas that truly travels around the world? And that's what our December 16th, 17th, and 18th experience is. It's just an opportunity for people to experience the fact that Jesus brings hope and life to all people. And we get to celebrate in that. So please, as you go home, do take this. And as you journey towards Christmas, just realize that just as God has brought you in from being a stranger to his guest, so now, just as he has hosted us, he wants us to be his hosts and to carry him into the world. Church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ, go into your corner of the world carrying Christ and showing brotherly love to everyone you meet. Go in grace, go in peace, and may God go with you until we meet next week. Have a great week. Thanks for worshiping with us.